There's going to be a train wreck unless we act now. A train wreck for the convention movement and hence a train wreck for the only reasonable chance that we have to fix our broken constitution and hence a train wreck for this nation. This is Larry Lessig. This is the final episode of season two of the podcast, Another Way. In the first, I covered how the Constitution gets amended. In the second, I described why some, like Robert Reich, believed that one of those two ways a convention would produce, quote, chaos. In the third episode, I described the history behind this fear and why I think this fear is baseless. In the fourth, I argued that if you believe our Constitution needs amendments, Article 5 may be our only hope. In this final episode, I want to describe how we can get there and the principles that should guide us if we do. Specifically, I want to describe a plan for getting a paired convention. That is, a convention that can consider both fiscal and representational integrity amendments together. I then sketch a process that I think should complement, or maybe better, shadow that paired convention process. And then finally, to end, I'm going to rag a bit on constitutional elitism, the disease that seems to afflict so many in America, especially on the left, and that stops us from taking our broken constitution in hand and fixing it. Okay, let's start with the simplest point first. How could we get a paired convention? Right now, most of the calls for an Article 5 convention are calls on the right. If the proponents of those convention calls succeed, the proponents of those conventions will fail. A right-wing convention would trigger left-wing fear-mongering. That fear-mongering machine would then raise tens of millions of dollars to stop whatever a right-wing convention proposed. There are 20 states now in which the Democrats control at least one house in the legislature. It would take less than a month for 13 of those legislatures to block any amendment perceived to be on or for the right alone. Yet however obvious this point is, I found that leaders within the right-wing Article 5 movement reluctant to accept it. Even if they agree in principle, they feel so close to victory that they're not willing to modify their strategy. So I think we need to give them an incentive to think a bit different. It takes 38 states to ratify any amendment to the Constitution— That means it takes just 13 states to block any amendment to the Constitution. Or more precisely, if an amendment is sent to state legislatures for ratification, it takes the vote of just one House in 13 states to block an amendment to the Constitution. So what if we use that magic number 13 in a strategy to get us a paired convention? Here's the idea. Imagine 13 states pass the following resolution. Resolved that the state of whatever hereby preemptively rejects any amendment proposed by an Article 5 convention that is not free to consider proposed amendments to address questions of representational 
integrity. This is a presumptive poison pill. It basically says if you succeed in getting a right-wing convention, then you will fail to get any amendment proposed by that convention adopted. Or at least you're likely to fail. We can't be sure if this preemptive poison pill will work, but even the chance that it would work would change fundamentally the calculation of those on the right. Now they would see that unless they at least permitted a convention to address issues of representational integrity, any fiscal integrity amendment would just be stillborn. That strategy, I think, could get us a paired convention. That would be enormous progress. But if it did, if it did get us a convention that could propose amendments— We should not leave it at that. Instead, we need to complement the work of a convention with work that we as citizens could do. No one should imagine that a convention alone would be enough to fix this republic. We can't trust the politicians alone on this. We need to be there with them. The reason we need an Article 5 convention rather than a constitutional amendment proposed by Congress is because Congress is too close to the interests that would block real reform. But so too are politicians everywhere. I have enormous faith in state legislators, but there's a way of thinking that politics breeds. It's not bad, but it's different. We need to balance that way of thinking by adding the input of citizens into this process. Not just any citizens. Most of us have no clue about what's at stake. Most of us don't have the time to even begin to understand what's important. But I believe that ordinary citizens, properly informed, could play a critically important role in filtering the proposals for representational and fiscal integrity. The people properly informed could be an important check on this Article 5 convention process. To do this well, we need to constitute the people in a way that would give us the opportunity to understand the issues, deliberate and reflect upon them, and then give our views. So here's one way. Imagine Congress enacts a Citizens' Jury Act of 2020. That act requires that before there is any Article 5 convention, a citizen's jury would be convened to help guide the conversation of that convention. The citizen's jury would be a random selection of, let's say, 300 Americans drawn together in a single place. The jury would be given a set of materials, mainly video but some writing, that would lay out the questions at issue and present arguments on both sides. They'd then meet together in small groups over the course of a weekend or ideally even a week. The jurors would be paid real money so all could afford to do it. They would be obligated to attend. Think of it as a kind of civil service draft. And finally, to increase the confidence that the public would have in whatever the jury might say, imagine the statute required that five citizens' juries be convened at the same time in different places considering the same questions. Okay, if this is the first time you've come across an idea like this, it's going to strike you as kind of weird. I get that. But in fact, there is now decades of experience with this sort of entity precisely. 
what Jim Fishkin calls a, quote, deliberative poll. And what that experience demonstrates is that ordinary citizens, if sufficiently diverse and representative, can tackle even the hardest questions. And more importantly, by giving them the information they need in advance, their views within the deliberation are informed and sensible. I saw an example of this in action in, of all places, Mongolia in the spring of 2017. For weird reasons, Mongolia has a law that actually requires that before any amendment to the Mongolian constitution can be ratified, it has to be considered by a deliberative poll. So in May 2017, 700 Mongolians, randomly selected and almost perfectly representative of Mongolian society, gathered in the parliament building in Ulaanbaatar to consider the proposed amendments. Now, I'll confess, as a Harvard professor who teaches constitutional law, I didn't have high expectations for this convention. The delegates seemed eager, no doubt, but could they really sensibly address the difficult questions of constitutional law that they had been asked to deliberate about? Yet very soon into the weekend meetings, my views had changed dramatically. Watching, with the help of a translator, the small groups deliberate on the proposals and then the questions presented to the experts, it was clear that the citizens were both well-informed, and there's no better word for this here, wise. They saw what was at stake. They deliberated sensibly about the choices and alternatives, and in the end, they endorsed a set of proposals that were balanced and extremely sensible, certainly better than the mix that were given to them by the politicians initially. If they could do this, I thought to myself, why couldn't we? Are Mongolians somehow better able to understand constitutional issues than Americans? That question leads directly to my final point. Or maybe this is less a point than a bit of a tirade, a tirade against a certain kind of constitutional elitism. Because what's most frustrating to me, as a liberal with endless admiration for other constitutional liberals, is just how skeptical we liberals are about ordinary people, even or maybe especially state legislators, getting anywhere near our Constitution. The Constitution has become precious cargo, not to be touched. We trust it to the judges only and imagine that only judges should interpret it and in interpreting it, of course, change it. But this attitude is the death of constitutionalism. God didn't give us the Constitution. People did. And if we can't keep the Constitution alive democratically, then we can't call ourselves a constitutional democracy. I understand where the anxiety here comes from. Trust me, I see how polls show Americans know squat little about their government and even less about the Constitution. And state legislators are not selected for their wisdom about constitutional design. So it does seem jarring, to say the least, to turn the questions 
of how the Constitution evolved over to the delegates in a convention, let alone to, quote, the people in a deliberative poll. But look, all that a convention does is give delegates the opportunity to propose ideas. If they're bad ideas, they'll never get passed. If they're good ideas, they just might. And a deliberative poll begins by giving the people the understanding they need to deliberate about the issues at stake. Its only role in the system that I've described is advisory. Its determinations don't resolve anything. They simply record what the people so constituted believe. Constitutions are not rocket science. And if they can't connect to the values of ordinary citizens, they have no role in governing ordinary citizens. No one should imagine referendums deciding what the Constitution should mean, but neither should we accept a system in which it is only five unelected justices on a Supreme Court that get to decide what the Constitution will mean. They have a role, no doubt. Congress has a role, no doubt. But the elite and the elected cannot be the only authors of our most fundamental law, especially when that elite and elected have done such a god-awful job in keeping that representative democracy alive. It's an oft-told story that as Ben Franklin was being carried from the convention in 1787, he was stopped by a woman and asked, Mr. Franklin, what have you wrought? A republic, madam, Franklin replied, if you can keep it. By a republic, Franklin meant a, quote, representative democracy. And by you, he meant not them, not the elite, not the politicians, not even the geniuses who fly kites in thunderstorms, but citizens. The elite and the politicians have taken away our representative democracy. They have, in other words, taken our republic. It is time for us to get it back. And we won't get it back by just sitting around waiting for the Supreme Court or for Congress. We just might get it back. If we can get the states to get Congress to give America a convention— a convention for proposing amendments, amendments that just might get us a representative democracy again. What stops us here is not history, not logic. What stops us is fear, fear of the unknown, fear of what just might happen. I get that fear. No one can pretend that there aren't unanswered questions about how a convention would work or what the delegates would do. But I think we should fear more what we can be certain about, not what the pundits might speculate about. And we can be certain that if this republic does not repair itself, if it doesn't get us a representative democracy, then the anger and loathing that got us this president is not going to change. We as a nation cannot afford a democracy that does not work. Of that, 
we can be certain. And it is that certainty that we should fear. You can join the call for a convention at the Wolfpack website. That's wolf-pack.com. Or by following me at Lessig on Twitter. And you would help this movement enormously by sharing this podcast with whomever you can. This is Larry Lessig. This podcast is written by me, and I am responsible for its mistakes. It is licensed under a Creative Commons attribution license. You're free to share it or remix it or critique it however you'd like. If you'd like to subscribe to other seasons of Another Way, the podcast now is in season two. Season one addressed the question of the 2020 election. Season three is not yet conceived. This is Larry Lessig. Thanks for listening.